I was probably five or seven years old. So it's always nice to come back. My parents even thought about moving to Wildwood at one point, and then we ended up moving to Uchi Pines. So I had a year at Uchi Pines and gained the experience that year as a 13-year-old of what it's like to be at a supporting ministry or self-supporting institution, and that was a really good year for us. And um, I see Jonathan and Hannah here. I'm on the board of Butler Creek. So thankful for that ministry. And so we're just thankful. I'm thankful to be here, and I'm thankful to be among friends who um, support God's work in various ways. I'm just going to ask the Lord to be with me as I share this morning, and we'll get right into the message. So, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this weekend and for the wonderful things that have been shared, and I pray that as I speak for a few minutes now that you would guide my mind and that the words that are shared this morning would add to what's already been shared this weekend, and thank you for what you are doing with OCI and all the ministries represented. So speak through me now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the title for my message this morning is End Time Soul Winners. You know, Seventh-day Adventists, we have been given the gospel commission, which Jesus gave to his disciples to take the, the gospel to the world. And we have the three angels' messages to take to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And it's not just a nice idea. This is why we have outpost centers all over the world. It's not just an idea that we're sharing, it's the last message of mercy. It's a message of mercy, and it's a message designed by God to bring salvation to those who are alive at the end of the world. So we're not just part of some special club where we have a nice group that we can hang out with that has a similar lifestyle. No, we have been entrusted with the last message of mercy to a lost and dying world. And when we have that perspective, it will shape how we relate to everybody else. And so evangelism and Adventism, I mean, this is such a core part of who we are as a people. This is the often missing piece in character development. It's something that you know, growing up as a kid and you're around other people, there's this attitude of like, well, the pastor can do this, but I certainly don't know what I'm doing. And yet, this is something that all of us have been given a commission to do, that it's not just for the pastor, it's not just for the Bible worker, but it's for everybody who is part of God's end time movement. You know, when when you look at scripture, when Jesus says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, to make a disciple is not simply to make a member. I mean, that's a good start, and a lot of people struggle to even do that, but we're not just looking for people to fill seats at church. We're looking for people who catch the vision for the three angels' messages. And so, if we don't have that vision ourselves, we can't share it with others. Now, I realize I'm probably speaking to a more motivated evangelistic crowd than most places that I would share this at. But I'm going to speak to you like I would to anybody else, just to encourage all of us that 
we want to be sharing this message to everybody that we can. Now, I'm going to share one statement as we start. This is from Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 259, to remind us that we're not just trying to fill seats, that the way we do evangelism is important. Notice this. God calls upon the workers in this mission to elevate the standard and to show their regard for his requirements by honoring the Sabbath. From this place, the publications are sent out and the laborers go forth to proclaim the commandments of God. And it is of the greatest importance that a right influence be exerted by this church, both by precept and example. Now listen, the standard must not be placed so low that those who accept the truth shall transgress God's commandments while professing to obey them. Better, far better, would it be to leave them in darkness until they could receive the truth in its purity. Now again, I realize I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but you know, there used to be a thing called clearance for baptism. And we should still be doing that. Like sometimes it turns into a numbers game where you try to baptize as many people as you can and then it's like look at how many baptisms we've had and I'd rather have two really solid disciples that join the church that become soul winners than a hundred who are Laodicean because the 100 Laodicean baptisms unless they become converted later aren't going to do much good for the cause compared to the two that are on fire. So we don't want to lower the standard when we're bringing people in. And I was somewhere in the world at one point in my life where people were being baptized who hardly knew what they were being baptized into. And then they were calling their Adventist pastor to perform last rites for their dying grandmother two weeks after they were baptized. So we don't want to do that kind of baptism. We want solid, biblical Adventist baptisms where people are being baptized into the faith who understand clearly what they're being baptized into. But that's often not even the problem. A lot of people just aren't doing evangelism at all. And so I want to encourage us to have a soul-winning mentality. Many have been discouraged from doing evangelism in the church because it has been done in an improper way. So you hear like the story that I just talked about, and it's like, oh, this is not even worth trying. Look at how bad that was. I might as well not even try to, to do this. Let's just focus on other things that God wants us to do. And yet we have to go back to the Gospel Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And we look at the three angels' messages. It's to be given to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that's not just to white people in North America. Sorry to be a little bit rude here, but it's to all the world. And so some people just kind of stop trying because, oh, we're not doing it right. But, you know, perhaps we start to focus on just making sure our church has its theology correct and we will engage in evangelism later. And while that certainly has a place to make sure that we're giving the right message, evangelism is part of correct theology. So if you have correct theology in your church, soul winning will be part of that correct theology. I mean, if you're not doing soul winning, then you're starting to just create a culture of a club where everybody feels comfortable that you agree the same way, 
but then you're not going and doing outreach to expand God's kingdom. We're not just to feel comfortable in a club. We're supposed to expand God's kingdom. So clearly, more work needs to be done in educating churches to do evangelism properly, but that doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait. Now, where does evangelism fit in end-time Adventism? And I've talked about this a little bit. But evangelism rightly done is the final and vital piece to end-time Adventism. We must be engaged in that. That's why we exist as a people. And I've talked about this, but Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, you see this angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That's verse 6, saying with a loud voice. So we're not supposed to be quietly sharing the end time message. It's to be given with a loud voice. Too many Adventists are almost embarrassed of our end-time message, and yet Revelation 14, 6 and 7 say that this message is to be given with a loud voice, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. We understand that we're living in the hour of God's judgment, and so there's an extra degree of urgency to this end-time message, because we understand that since 1844, we're living at the end of the world, and that this gospel of the kingdom is to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And it's to be preached for a witness. Now, it's one thing to give this message evangelistically where we share the content, but there's more to it. People can tell when we do this because it's our experience as opposed to doing it out of a sense of obligation. The final fulfillment of this end-time gospel message going to the world is in Revelation chapter 18. And in Revelation chapter 18, we see this powerful picture where an angel comes down from heaven having great power, great authority, and the earth is lightened or illuminated with its glory, and that glory is God's character. And so right now we are in the proclamation phase of the evangelistic three angels' messages, but when the loud cry goes forth, yes, it will be given with a loud cry, but it will also be seen as a demonstration. The world will see that what we are proclaiming is demonstrated in our lives. And I believe that even now, as we connect with the Lord and as we surrender our lives to the Lord, our evangelism will be more effective when it's connected to the gospel actually changing our lives. So when the gospel changes our lives and we are enthusiastic about sharing the three angels' messages to, the, to a lost and dying world, they see the contrast with the peace and the joy and the love that we have for the Lord as it's seen in our lives with the way the world is. And if you look at the world right now, it's a big mess. I don't know if you've noticed that recently or not. And what frustrates me is I see many Seventh-day Adventists who are more evangelistic for Joe Biden or Donald Trump than they are for the end-time message. 
And somehow we think that, oh, if we could just get the house to flip in the midterm elections, then life will go back to being good again. That's the way some people see it. And other people are like, we've got to hang on for dear life so the Republicans don't take over. And I'm like, wait a minute, we have an end time message to take to the world. And you guys are more fired up about fighting for politics than you are for pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that shows where our priorities are. It shows where our heart is, where our affections are, because when we put our energy into the political fights of the modern time, we show that the kingdom that we belong to is not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom on earth. And so then we show up to church on Sabbath and we're like, oh yeah, we should be witnessing for the Lord. And we think about it for a little bit. And by Saturday night and Sunday morning, we've heard all of the latest spin from Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. And we're ready to do battle the rest of the week on social media. Hoping that our team wins in the elections or whatever it is. And here's what ends up happening. By beholding, we become changed. And those political fights that happen out in the world then come into the church. And then we partake of the same spirit and we wonder why the gospel has not gone to the world as a witness. Because by beholding, we become changed. And we've become changed so that I saw Adventists justifying, and look, uh, I'm not here to promote either political party, so I'm just making some statements. Don't take this to mean that I'm supporting one side. But I saw Adventists saying, you know, I know those tweets are bad, and I I know they're unchristian, but at least the end result is good. I'm like, you know, if we start to justify clearly sinful behavior, we're not preparing ourselves for heaven. And, you, and look, I could say the same thing about both sides, about things that are said publicly and how they're defended and justified. And yet, here we have a commission where the gospel is to be preached as a witness. And when I look at my Bible and I read Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, when I read what the gospel is supposed to do in my life and in your life, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, what gives the gospel power, verse 17 says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Now, that's the biblical Adventist gospel. The evangelical gospel in the Christian world from the fallen churches is that the righteousness of God in the gospel is simply declared. Now, it is declared, but the reason why God declares someone righteous is because their faith has produced the righteousness of God in their heart. And then the gospel becomes a witness because the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is God's character revealed in the lives of those who have faith. So then it goes on to say, for therein is the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's revealed from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So the just or the righteous who live by faith have the righteousness of God revealed. Justification by faith is the righteousness of God revealed in the lives of those those who have faith, and yet when the righteousness of God is not revealed, then evangelism loses its power. When we make excuses for sin, when we make excuses for the weakness of humanity, the gospel loses its power. 
Because the purpose of the everlasting gospel in the hour of God's judgment is to cleanse God's people from sin so that the sanctuary in heaven can be cleansed of sin. If we believe in a gospel that does not cleanse us and the people of God from sin on this earth, the sanctuary in heaven cannot be cleansed. And so God needs a people on earth who believe in the power of the gospel and who experience the power of the gospel so that Christ's cleansing work in the heavenly sanctuary can be completed. And when we take that message to the world and when people realize that the message of the gospel is a message of deliverance from the power of sin and from the kingdom of darkness, then the gospel and the evangelistic message that we have for this time has power. So this is where Advent, or evangelism fits in end-time Adventism. The gospel is to be preached for a witness. The earth is to be illuminated with the glory of God's character. Listen, if, if we had our best Adventist evangelist get on a live stream where everybody in the world could hear that Jesus has died for your sins, accept him as your Savior, and he will change your life, that alone would not finish the work. If every single last person on the earth heard our best Adventist evangelist give a pure explanation of the gospel that alone would not finish the work there must be a demonstration of what the gospel is for the work to be finished and that's going to take place in revelation 18 but then what ends up happening is some people say well i'll just wait till the latter rains poured out and then i'll be part of the closing work and it will be too late to be part of it at that point. You will not be engaged in evangelism when the latter rain is poured out if you're not engaged in it now. Because that's part of a converted life. And we're going to look at that now. Notice a few things here. This is from Desire of Ages 633. Before the fall of Jerusalem, Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, declared that the gospel was preached to every creature which is under heaven. So now, before the coming of the Son of Man, the everlasting gospel is to be preached to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world. So it's amazing. In the then known world, those who received Pentecost, the early reign, they took the gospel to the then known world. And at the end of the world, those who received the outpouring of the latter reign will do the same. Now notice this quote continues, Christ tells us when that day shall be ushered in. He does not say that all the world will be converted, but that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Now notice this, by giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. So for those who are saying, well, I'll just wait till the latter rain is poured out and then I'll be part of it. Listen, the latter rain is going to be poured out when God has a people who have a character maturity that is ready to receive the latter rain, but that means they've already been engaged in an evangelism before then. We are not only to look for it, but to hasten the coming of the day of God. Had the church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would before this have been warned, and the Lord Jesus would have come to our earth in power and great glory. So notice, if we had already been warning the world and doing the work that God had given us to do, then he would have already come. Now, I'm very well aware, and we're going to get to the statement from Christological Lesson 69, when the character Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. And some have taken that to mean, well, let's just get our characters right and stop sinning and do all the right things, and then we can do evangelism at the latter reign. But no, if you have the character of Christ, you're going to be doing the work of Christ. 
And Christ didn't sit around and say, I'm going to stop sinning, or not stop, I'm never going to sin, I'm going to just live the perfect life as a human, and then when it's time, I'll show up for the cross and show what it's like to be a living sacrifice. No, he lived a perfect life demonstrating the character of God through a life of service before his death on the cross. So God's people will live lives of service as well. It's in our power to hasten our Lord's return, and that includes a life of service. So I'm going to ask a few questions, and this is not for you to raise your hands. Just think about them. How many Seventh-day Adventists do you know that are truly excited about evangelism? You know, there's some who are, but not enough. Now, how many Seventh-day Adventists do you know that are actively engaged in evangelism? How many people have you heard say that soul winning and evangelism are not their gift? I know I have. You know, that's not my gift. I'm not good with people. Now, think about this. You're, you're in a work setting. You're in a social setting. What do you talk about? People talk about things that they're interested in. I mean, you, you talk to some introverted guy who doesn't like to, to be around people, but he's into building old-fashioned cars or trucks. Man, he'll just start talking. He's an introvert, and he'll talk your ear off about the type of engine and the make and the model, and, and before you know it, an hour's gone by, and he's talked your ear off. I mean, you, you talk to some woman about you name it, things that they're interested in. I mean, it's, it could be something as simple as, for example, and this isn't a bad thing, but you get my wife talking about homeschool, I mean, she'll talk to you for an hour before you know what's happened. All I'm saying is, is that people talk about the things they're interested in, the things that they engage in. And when you say, well, soul winning and evangelism are not my gift, there's a reason why they're not your gift. Because those who are followers of Jesus will make disciples of all nations. That's the reality. So now, th think about this. Here's some cliches that you may have heard, and I'm here to push back at these cliches, just so you know. I'm a silent witness. Okay? Preach the gospel, use words when necessary. And if we're honest with ourselves, our silent witness of quote-unquote preaching the gospel without words is so ineffective that many do not even know that a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are, not, are even Christian. I mean, I'm a silent witness. Preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Listen, at some point, you're going to have to explain to somebody why the seventh day is the Sabbath. At some point, you're going to explain to someone why the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. I mean, when I was at Loma Linda, I trained with Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Catholics and people from all different walks of life, atheists, and all of them could be very nice people when things were going well and you're not deprived of sleep and you're not running late and you're getting food on time. So being a nice person 
Oh, I'm a silent witness. See how nice I am at work? Yeah, you know what? I've seen non-Christians that are nice too. And that doesn't necessarily prove anything. At some point, you need to share the gospel. And just being a silent witness is not going to necessarily lead people to Jesus. Now, there are cases where someone's clear example of a self-sacrificing life will cause people to start asking questions, but the reality is this silent witness and preaching the gospel where where we use words when necessary is typically an excuse to be Laodicean. Just lukewarm, not too hot, not too cold. I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm not out there, you know, selling drugs or stealing from the bank, and I'm not lying, I tell the truth. And yeah, I'm not that into sharing, but at least I'm not, I'm not bad or mean. Yeah, and so, so is much of the rest of the world. So there's more to it than just being a silent witness. I want to challenge you to step out of that thinking of just saying, I'm going to be a silent witness for Jesus. Jesus was not a silent witness. Now, I've said this before, and I'll I'll read it again. I've heard some say, I'm not into evangelism now, but when the loud cry goes forth, then I will become active in soul winning and evangelism. That's like saying, I'll surrender my life to Jesus when the Sunday law is passed. It's not going to work that way. You're going to be winning souls for Jesus now. Now, let's talk about Jesus and the type of witness he is for us because we want to be followers of Jesus. Medical ministry, page 49, you know the statement. Well, Christ was a Seventh-day Adventist to all intents and purposes. So when Jesus was on the earth, it was as if he was already a Seventh-day Adventist. And we follow him. We follow his lead. So what about Jesus? Now, I realize I'm here at Wildwood. I'm at OCI. You've heard these quotes probably a hundred times. Ministry of Healing 143. The world needs today what it needed 1900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. A great work of reform is demanded and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual can be accomplished. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. So was Christ a silent witness? He was not a silent witness. So why do we think it's okay to be a silent witness? Christ had a method. And we know this. You've heard this a hundred times. His method alone will give true success, where he mingled with men as one who desired their good. And he showed sympathy, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. So we see medical missionary work in there. But it's not just medical missionary work. You know, I'm sure some of you have seen medical missionaries who don't show sympathy. So they do the right things like the right remedies are offered, but they lack sympathy. Now, in my profession as a physician, and by the way, you don't, have an, you don't have to have an MD to be a true medical missionary. You know that. You can do true medical missionary work without an MD. In my line of work as a physician, it's common to hear from patients that they saw a doctor who didn't care. And even though the doctor did all the right things, I look at the note and I'm like, well, that's what I would have done. 
But the difference was that doctor didn't care and I listened. If you're doing true medical missionary work, you understand how the body works and the mind works and how health works and you understand which remedy will help for this type of a health condition and you come in and you kind of rush through it and you're not really listening and you don't really seem to care that, oh, their daughter just kind of ran off with her boyfriend a couple of weeks ago and they don't know what's happening, but at least you gave them the right charcoal poultice for whatever their issue was and you walk out of there and they're like, Man, they don't care about what happened to me. There, there's a method. And I, and I realize this is common sense, but you'll, you'd be surprised at some people who lack that. The sympathy that Christ showed, the way he ministered, and yes, the, the remedies and the right arm of the gospel that goes with it are part of that. When the remedies that you provide help them to realize, well, they actually know how to help me feel better, but they also cared about the trauma that I'm going through right now, then that door opens so that they're like, so why do you go to church on Saturday? And now the door starts to open to the whole gospel message. And so there's this method, and it works. And you don't have to have a PhD in theology for the Lord to bless you in this line of work. It's like, oh, well, you know, if they ask me about Daniel 11, 40 to 45, I'm going to be lost, and it's not going to work. That doesn't, that, if you don't understand the finer points of theology, you still know so much and if you don't know certain things, there's Bible study guides to help you. So there's really no excuse. You can just read through those Bible study guides and all of those things. And you can encourage other people to have the same mentality. So Christ's method alone. He was a Seventh-day Adventist for all intents and purposes. And he mingled with men. You know, sometimes I see this happen too. It's like, well, we better not try to be around those people because they're going to corrupt us. And then we just kind of stay in our own little isolated conclaves and we don't reach people. And it's true that we have to be careful about the associations we have for our children and things like that. But we want to be reaching everybody because that's what Christ did to you. Now, let's keep going. This is Review and Herald, July 16, 1895. Those who do not submit to the influence of the Holy Spirit soon lose the blessings received when they acknowledge the truth as from heaven. They fall into a cold, spiritless formality. They lose their interest in perishing souls. They have left their first love. Now, that's the warning to the church of Ephesus. But when you lose your interest in perishing souls, you've left your first love because Jesus cares about everybody. And if you ever find yourself becoming to a point where you're hard-hearted and you're saying, oh, well, those people, they're so messed up. I mean, that's going to be bad for them when, the, when probation closes. And you haven't even tried to reach them. No, when we have the love of Christ in our heart, we will be reaching the perishing souls, not losing interest in them. Christ's Object Lessons 384, the sanctification of the soul by the working of the Holy Spirit is the implanting of Christ's nature in humanity. Gospel religion is Christ in the life. You see the gospel there? The true gospel of Jesus Christ is having Christ in our life. 
a living active principle. It is the grace of Christ revealed in character and wrought out in good works. The principles of the gospel cannot be disconnected from any department of practical life. Every line of Christian experience and labor is to be a representation of the life of Christ. Every line of our experience. We cannot say, well, this part of my life I'll show the love of Jesus, but when, when I go out into the world, I can just kind of do whatever I want. No, every line of our experience is to connect. Now, notice this. Love is the basis of godliness. Whatever the profession, no man has pure love to God unless he has unselfish love for his brother. But we can never come into possession of the Spirit by trying to love others. What is needed is the love of Christ in the heart. When self is merged in Christ, love springs forth spontaneously. So one of the reasons why we struggle to witness is because we may not have Christ in our life, so then we don't have love for those who are perishing. And so we try to love others, and it's just like, oh, man, they're so annoying. Oh, man, if they came to our church, that would be annoying to hear them give a testimony at church because they talk too long and then they talk about things that aren't relevant. Ugh. Now, that's fallen humanity speaking. But when you have Jesus in your life and self is merged in Christ, love will spring forth spontaneously for people. And then the next statement, you know this one too, the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. When the sunshine of heaven fills the heart and, it's, and is revealed in the countenance. Now I realize, again, I'm speaking to a lot of people who are living sacrificing lives where you have started ministries and some of you are in various places around the world doing a work of ministry to minister and to evangelize a lost and dying world. And I just want to encourage you and and remind you and this is why we come to these retreats of why you are doing what you are doing it, it, it becomes easy to allow the business of running your ministry to cause you to lose focus of why you're doing your ministry in the first place now it's important you've got to pay the bills and and to have the the institute or the school or whatever it is that you are part of run in an effective fashion but don't forget why you're doing what you're doing and I hope and pray that as you go back home you will be re-energized to remember yes I need the love of Christ in my heart to, re to, to reach unlovable people of the world that can be reached for Jesus and that the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within now that's a high calling to have this impulse to help and bless others constantly. But that's what happens when we have Jesus in our life, when we have the completeness of Christian character. Again, you know that statement from, from Christ's object lesson 69, when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. And yes, that includes stopping doing the bad things. We stop watching things on the internet that we were watching. We stop losing our temper and we eat the right way and we dress the right way and we have a good disposition. All of that is true. But the other aspect of that character of perfection is this impulse to help and bless others constantly. 
That's the completeness of Christian character. And that's why we're still here, because a lot of us have this character experience where we will help and bless others when it's convenient, but not when it's inconvenient. So let's look at a few other things. In Acts chapter 2, verses 47... When Pentecost was poured out, it says, The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. A spirit-filled church will have genuine soul-winning and evangelism. We will be reaching a lost and dying world. You know, a lot of times we consider it a successful year if we have one or two baptisms in some of our smaller churches. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it's going to be a lot more effective than that, if we're honest with ourselves. Now notice this, now I'm going to kind of take things to its conclusion here. Christ's object lesson 67. The wheat develops first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corner and the ear. The object of the husbandman in the sowing of the seed and the culture of the growing plant is the production of grain. He desires bread for the hungry and seed for future harvest. So the divine husbandman looks for a harvest as the reward of his labor and sacrifice. Christ is seeking to reproduce himself in the hearts of men, and he does this through those who believe in him. The object of the Christian life is fruit-bearing, the reproduction of Christ's character in the believer, that it may be reproduced in others. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but we're not doing evangelism simply to gain members. We do evangelism because Christ's character has been reproduced in our lives, and as we share with others, then his character is reproduced in us. That's what it means to make disciples of all nations. The disciples went out and shared Christ because Christ's character had been planted in their hearts and lives, and they went out and did the same. So it's good if people come to an understanding that the seventh day is the Sabbath and the health message and the sanctuary message and the state of the dead. All of those are vital aspects of the truth as it is in Jesus. But ultimately, all of that will lead to Christ's character being reproduced in them. That's what the evangelistic message is about. There could be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell of his goodness. Do every duty that presents itself. Carry the burden of souls upon your heart. And by every means in your power, seek to save the lost. As you receive the spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish and love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the spirit will ripen your, in your character Your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, your love be made perfect. More and more, you will reflect the likeness of Christ and all that is pure, noble, and lovely. You know, just a little personal testimony. We have a cleaning service that comes through our house every Friday. You know, we kind of have a full house. We have five kids, and my wife's homeschooling. And so one thing I've done to make her burden a little bit easier for Sabbath preparation is to have a cleaning service. And so they've been coming for a couple of years. And um, as some of you may know, I've written a book on Daniel and a book on Revelation. And so those books are kind of laying around on the table. And um, just a few weeks ago, one of the ladies said to my wife, because I was at work, she was like, you know, we've been wondering about the mark of the beast. 
you know, do you know of something that we could study to understand that better? And I'm thinking, Lord, you just rebuked me. Like, they've been coming to our house for a couple of years, and here I've written these books on these topics, and they just kind of come through, and we give them their check when they're done, and they come, and hey, the house is ready for Sabbath, and that's great. And now they're like, they're searching and so we gave them my books on Revelation and we told them which chapters they could start off with. And, and I told my wife, and, and we're still kind of in the early process, I'm like, if they're interested, I'll study with them. And there's people like that all over the place. And so I'm, gonna, I'm praying that the Lord will open those doors but there are people like that that are searching all over the place. And I'm talking to myself. I'll, we'll just get into our little lane where I'm, we're in our Adventist lane, and they kind of come in, and they clean our house, and everybody's kind of nice and friendly to each other. And then they happen to see books laying around on the table, and they're like, hey, do you have some information that would help us to understand something better? You know, there's opportunities all the time to reach people. And so I could tell you other stories, too, of how this, this pharmaceutical representative was coming to my office, and she asked me, so what are you doing this week? And, you know, you just make small talk. And this was before COVID. So are you doing anything this week and just small talk? I'm like, yeah, I'm going out to preach at a church. She's like, oh, really? What church are you part of? And I'm like, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. She's like, really? I've been watching Doug Batchelor for a few years. And then I gave her my book on Daniel. And, you know, it's, there's these opportunities that are all over the place. And um, we, we have these people that are just searching. And if we allow the Lord to use us, we will bring in a harvest. Now, notice this next paragraph, Christ Object Lesson 68. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. By the way, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. This is not a buffet. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Christ wasn't lacking in any one of those attributes. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest unto eternal life. So when we do evangelism, those who are one to the kingdom will have, like we should have, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's the harvest that will be produced. And that's the context then of this statement that I'm going to read now that we know so well. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. Well, what's the fruit. It's people who have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And they are soul winners who are seeking to see Christ's character reproduce in others. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people. Then he will come to claim them as his own. So yes, the character of Christ being perfectly reproduced means that you're going to stop losing your temper and you're going to st stop watching bad things. But it also means that you will have an, an evangelistic heart. That you will have the method of Christ and mingling with others as one who desires the, their good and showing sympathy for them. And then it goes on to say, it is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're all who profess his name, bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. 
You know, that's a rebuke to us as a church because we are the ones who profess his name. And if we were doing the work that God wanted us to be doing, if we were bearing fruit to his glory, if we had the fruit of the spirit, if we had the completeness of Christian character where the impulse to bless others sprung forth constantly from within, the world would quickly be sown with the seed of the gospel. Now listen, there are some people who have that spirit, don't get me wrong, but many of us do not. And that's what Christ is waiting for with longing desire. So the harvest is ready. As John 4.35 says, the fields are white already to harvest. What are we waiting for? Why are we not working to reach the harvest of the world? Now, I know many of you here are, but I'm giving this message because some of you may not be, and those of you who are can use this message as an inspiration to encourage others to join you. And then Christ, or Great Controversy 464, notwithstanding the widespread declension of faith and piety, there are true followers of Christ in these churches. Those are the churches outside of Adventism. Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be a, among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The Spirit of God will be poured out upon his children. I'm going to skip along here. Great Controversy 611, the great work of the gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies which were fulfilled in the outpouring of the former reign at the opening of the gospel are again to be fulfilled in the latter reign. So you see how powerful Pentecost was? Latter reign is going to be more powerful, and that's what God wants us to be part of. And then it goes on to say, servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place place to proclaim the message from heaven by thousands of voices all over the earth the warning will be given and you can see the rest of the quote so god's people are going to receive the outpouring of the latter rain but we will not receive that outpouring if we're not engaged in the work now because the latter rain will be poured out on those who have the early rain experience which is the fruit of the spirit of having love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness and temperance i mean it's almost silly to say but can you imagine the latter rain being poured out on a bunch of grumpy, grouchy, mean, unfriendly Seventh-day Adventists who know how to eat right, dress right, and what the correct theology is, but they're kind of not very nice to be around. Can you imagine that? And the latter rain goes out with great power, and people are going out with scowls on their face. Get out of Babylon, you people. It's not going to happen. Right now, if the Holy Spirit were poured out in latter rain measure, our problem is, is that many of us have the spirit and character of Babylon, and we can't reach Babylon when we have the character of Babylon. We must have the character of Jesus. So, some concluding thoughts. This is a God will vindicate himself and return to this earth when he has a generation who are a reproduction of his character and who are actively engaged in bearing fruit to others. It is not enough to know the truth and to refrain from sinning. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. So we become a blessing to other people and we're not a, a blessing to other people if we're mean and grumpy and selfish and we only serve others when it serves our own selfish interests so that we can brag, do you know how many baptisms I got this year? It's not about numbers, it's about doing God's work because we love Jesus. And so that's the work we've been called to. 
And I'm going to close with this slide. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. So I want to challenge you here at the OCI retreat convention to go out and show the world what the grace of God has done for you. And to be living witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what the gospel has done for you, how Christ has touched your heart, and how his character is in your life, and the fruit of the Spirit is seen in your life. And then people will want what you have. And as you share that message with others, don't be ashamed to share Jesus with others. Don't be ashamed to share the truth that we have for this time. And God will reward you with a harvest of souls. So may we be faithful to this calling, and I just pray that God will continue to bless OCI and all of the ministries that are represented here as you take this message to the world all over the place. It's been my privilege to to be able to share this with you this morning. So let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, I thank you for all of the people that are here and for the work that is happening through OCI. And Lord, I pray that this work would blossom and flourish and expand further and that more and more Seventh-day Adventists would capture a vision for doing this type of work to reach a lost and dying world with a last message of mercy. Thank you that you have given us uh, this privilege of being part of this work. And may you be with each of us as we go back to our various places of work and ministry that we would be part of this closing work that you have called us to be. And we just thank you that you have shown us what we can do through your grace and power. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, Or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.